Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Uh, it was fun last night, the basketball uh, program, and we appreciate so much you know, all the work that goes into that ministry. It really is a ministry. We have uh, so many families. The, the coach, that I, the team I helped my son-in-law coach, um, uh, most of the kids were not from our church, and uh, we just had a chance to uh, just be a part of their lives. And, and most, many of the kids, if not most, are from outside our neighborhood and community, and it's just a great outreach opportunity, not only to non-church families, but other Christian families, as we open our building up for other people to use, and we're so thankful for that opportunity. Um, it is true, I did fall down on the last, out there in the court. However, I did want to, I need to have a little talk with Kevin. I, you know, I know he's played some basketball, but there is a difference between a screen and a foul. <laughs> <laughs> Usually when somebody gets a rebound and is shooting the ball, uh, you don't get screened, you get fouled, right, Michael? If you fall down, that's kind of how it goes. But since it was a high school girl, uh, I wasn't going to say anything. You know, <laughs> uh, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't played uh, competitive basketball for a few months here, and uh, it did remind me of January in 1972. When Dale Amundsen and I packed up and went back to Grace Bible College in the middle of the year, and uh, back in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and um, the, uh, I was going to play basketball for them as I played basketball in high school, played at Lincoln High School, and graduated in '71, and was going to college. And said, "Thank you." This I see that hand, and uh, so and Jim Carlson was the head coach at GBC. Jim Carlson had been our Christian education pastor at our church for five and some years. Um, and we knew him well. He's a big part of our lives, and he'd gone back to Grace, and so he was excited, and he had recruited me to play basketball. So we're sitting there in chapel on, uh, I think it was a Thursday, maybe a Friday, I can't remember, and that night we were playing our, our main uh, rival at that time, uh, Grand Rapids School Bible Music, and uh, so we're sitting there, and Jim Carlson's going on, inviting everybody to the game, and he's talking about their new secret weapon they're going to unveil this evening and all this, you know, and all of a sudden it dawned on me, he's talking about me, you know. <laughs> and it also occurred to me, I hadn't picked up a basketball since last February at Lincoln High School when I quit, when we were done for the year. And I hadn't touched the basketball, I hadn't practiced, and I thought, boy, I should have practiced at least something, you know. And uh, so the secret weapon unveiled that night. Uh, committed five fouls in about 15 minutes, fouled out of the game. Yeah, fell down probably three times. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't much of a weapon, but it was a secret, that's for sure. <laughs> now this morning, the passage that Kevin read to us, and I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We actually are going to talk about a very important secret, if you will, also called a mystery that we find in the scriptures, and we'd like to uh, I'd like to talk about that with you this morning. And um, let's pray, Heavenly Father, as we open Your Word, uh, we pray that uh, Your words will be heard, our hearts will be open to Your Word. Uh, not only will we learn and increase our understanding, but would also affect how we live and how we walk with You 
how we rejoice in the wonderful salvation that you've given to us. And if there be a person here today who has never received forgiveness for sins, I pray, Lord, even as we preach from your word, that your Holy Spirit uh, would open their hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we, we have been memorizing scripture together and we think of our verse this week, but God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. We stand under the cross today, and our whole confidence is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Now, our passage this morning is Ephesians 3, 1 through 7. And we're going to work our way through this, but I would like to just read it first. And I'd like you to think of this in the context of what Kevin read from Colossians as well. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now this passage of scripture, this, this entire epistle, it does have a special place in the history of our church. Our church was founded in 1964, um, and we finished this building about 1966 and moved here in Shoreline. And our church was founded upon a understanding of scripture that we felt it was very important to have the the freedom and ability to preach and to teach. And if you've been to our church, um, uh, you probably are aware of this. If you're visiting with us today, uh, thank you so much for being here. And I want to just I want you to feel right at home uh, with the family of God today and, and understand as well. But so I just want to tell you, you know, we put a lot. We do place emphasis on the ministry of the Apostle Paul to the Gentile world. We do not worship Paul. We worship only who? Jesus Christ. We do not worship the Bible. The Bible draws us to the one we worship, but we hold the Bible, as Kevin said, very high in our church. Our ministries, whether it's in this pulpit, whether it's in the youth lecterns and the discussion groups, or it's in Sunday school, our ministry is built around the Word of God. We worship our Lord Jesus Christ, and we have come to salvation through simple faith Paul says in the book of Romans that all who come by faith are children of Abraham because Abraham is the one who came and expressed simple faith in God and God said, you are justified. And Paul says because of that, of every age, of every time in in history that God has revealed his plan of salvation in specific ways, it is faith that is the operative that draws us and to allow us to receive God's grace. Faith and grace are the essentials in every age. We say the word dispensation. We'll talk about that in a moment. And we, we emphasize in our church an understanding. And I, and I think especially young people here today uh, with us, and we have you just uh, for a few short years, and uh, you're going to be doing all sorts of things and so on. And I know Pastor Kevin teaches this. We teach it in confirmation. And I just I want to make this as this is a very important passage of Scripture. Very important passage of Scripture. And I want to make it as simple 
as I can and yet as clear as I can. And that's why we're just handling these six verses this morning. And I brought with me, some of you know I like books, right? And I brought with me some books this morning. And I, and I, and I, I do this at a, a risk. Um, not that they're heavy, that is a risk. <laughs> but I just want to say a word first of all. And that is, uh, what I have in my hand here are three commentaries. Now, a commentary is a, uh, where an author takes a passage of scripture and it's usually a, a book or a section and verse by verse will uh, go into the original language in the New Testament. It was Greek and Old Testament Hebrew and Aramaic. Uh, the, the, con- the, the, the commentator will, a good biblical commentator, it is based on the scriptures. And based on that scripture, we find it helps. And, and I use them all the time. I, I, most every pastor I know of uh, uses commentaries. We invest in them. Not so we can stand up and say, this person here says, no, this is our authority here. When we refer to various authors and commentaries, these are people who have, who have studied the Word of God, who have skills, especially maybe in areas that, you know, it's, it's a real specialty to understand biblical languages. All of us who are trained in ministry, um, you know, all of us who have been to, you know, all of us ordained pastors here, we've studied Greek and Hebrew but we are not experts in those languages. There are people who spend their lives, like my brother, my friend Clinton Moyer, uh, who's from this church, in, in the Old Testament languages, that they, they really understand it. So what I'm saying is they are helpful. As we get insights and say, oh, that's something I hadn't thought of. Is that what the Bible says? And we go to it. Now, I say all that to say this. These three commentaries I happen to have with me today, across the board you will find in academic in uh, those who study the word, those who spend you know, lots of time in it, are three of the finest commentaries that you can get your hands on of the book of Ephesians today. This one here is by a man named Lincoln, and is part of the word biblical. It's a whole series of every book in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, you know, the whole set's about this big uh, on both Old Testament and this big on New Testament. This is, one of, this is a very fine commentary on the biblical language that is very well thought of and used uh, very much today by A.T. Lincoln. This one is by a man named E. Best, the International Critical Commentary. Uh, by all accounts, uh, T.N.T. Clark one of, from England, one of the finest commentaries that is used in academic circles today. Both of these gentlemen come from a theological framework that is more middle of the road than I am. And what I mean by that is it would be more... Uh, sort of in between a conservative theology and a moderate theology would be more moderate. And I understand that. And there are areas that, you know, because of that, that I would have some disagreement. But in terms of their academic and their abilities, these are considered two of the top. This one is the most probably recent. I mean, look at the size of that thing. Can you imagine writing a common book of Ephesians? And this is one of the most recent ones by Harold Honer, who went to uh, Ph.D. University of Cambridge and now teaches at Dallas uh, Seminary. And uh, this is one of the latest, it's 10 years old now, but you know, it takes a long time to write this kind of commentary that's been very well received and very much used, uh, very, very well used and very highly thought of uh, in academic and in uh, theological settings. Now, here's why I say that. As I read this passage this week, and as I, my, my study habit is to read the passage, to read the passage, go over it and and. and, and uh, you know, mull on it and think about it. 
And then I used the commentaries and, and put my thoughts together and learned some things other people thought of. The thing about it is, what we teach regarding this particular passage, and what I'm going to teach to you today, that we do emphasize in this church, and we do, and we do believe it's important to understand, the best scholarship in our era today are saying the exact same thing. And this is the amazing thing. And I'm going to give you some quotes from these commentaries today, and you can see this. And I simply say that to say some criticize and say, well, the way you present the Bible with your emphasis on Paul's message, that it's very narrow or divisive. That it is too narrow. You know, you don't, you don't study Christ. That is not true. You don't study from the whole Bible. Listen, it is not true. I have preached last year from Nehemiah. We preached from all over the Bible. We preach and we teach from every book in the Bible, every concept. We do see it through a Pauline grid, if you will, in terms of the message given to the church, the body of Christ. And as I, as I say that, and there are those who would say, well, that's too narrow, um, I find some, some, some uh, I don't say comfort, but some interest in the fact that the best scholarship I can put my hands on today are saying the same thing. And I'm going to, I'm going to show you that today. So let's go to this passage. For this reason, Paul says, verse 1, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, ethnos, it's the word for the nations or the peoples. As I told you last week, when Paul writes, and, and what we're going to talk about today, yes, is a little bit of a recap from last week in chapter 2 at the last part of it. But when Paul writes this, remember, we don't think of the world in terms of Jew and Gentile. I understand that. You haven't thought about that once this week, of your world in terms of Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jew. But in terms of God's unfolding plan of redemption, of salvation in the Bible, the, the, the place of Israel was and is and will be very important. Because God chose a person, Abraham. And gave him a promise of a land, of a people, of worldwide blessing. And from that one man came a family. And from that one family came a tribe. And from that one tribe came a king of Israel. And from that one king of Israel was promised that there will be a, a, a king that will always be on the throne of Israel from your family. And from that family will come one person who will die on the cross of Calvary and bring salvation for the entire world. And that that kingdom will be promised to Israel for the entire world. The Messianic kingdom that is promised in the Old Testament, the message that Gentiles will come to faith in God is no secret. It is no mystery. It is all over the Old Testament. All over the Old Testament. That is not the mystery that Gentiles will come to faith. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he is in prison. Now, yes, he's under house arrest, we believe. You know, we have to make some suppositions here. But we know at the end of the book of, if this is written in this time, during the time of the end of the book of Acts, he is under house arrest. He is under arrest. He is not in a dungeon. But he is in prison. He is not free to go anywhere. He is chained to a Roman guard. As long as he can afford it or someone can help him, he can hire his own house, his own apartment. But he is always there under arrest. Why was Paul under arrest? Listen, he tells us. 
The whole reason I'm under arrest, the reason I am in jail, he was in jail, he was in prison for over four years, two years in Caesarea, a boat trip to Rome, and two years in Rome, four to four and a half years. And here's the reason. And I want you to go back and you can see this exactly why he is in prison. Go back to Acts chapter 22 in your Bible. Acts chapter 22. I'll read these passages to you as well. Um, Acts chapter 22. I know a lot of you are using uh, various digital devices for your Bibles. Some of you have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we'd be glad to give you a Bible. Just let me know. We have Bibles here. We'd love to give you. We feel it's very important. Gary's got his iPad there today, right, Gary? Good for you, okay. Uh, Acts chapter 22. And, uh, you know, the iPad is kind of nice, but it's made it a little difficult when you want to Bible drills, you know. <laughs> when you, you hold your sword up and you have to go to the Bible, then it's kind of cheating. So if, if you're in there, you don't win, Gary. You don't get the candy with your iPad. Acts chapter 22. And Paul is giving his defense... Um, as to why he keeps getting arrested and why he's, he's causing so much trouble. And as he comes toward the end of his story, and he tells the story of, this is just one of his stories of how he was saved and why God called him and the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus, and how Ananias uh, came to him and, uh, and, and stood by him. And in, in verse um, uh, 15, Ananias had said to him, You will be his witness to all men. And what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. And, and Paul says, I, I did this. And he says, um, he comes to the end of this and in verse 21. He says, then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. That's all he said. That God told me my ministry is to the Gentiles. And look at the response. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. And they raised their voices and they shouted, Rid the earth, he's not fit to live. That's all he said. He just, it, wasn't, it wasn't the fact that he was preaching Jesus Christ. It's the fact that he claims he was sent to the Gentiles to preach this message. And the thing just exploded. And his fellow Jews exploded and said, This man doesn't deserve to live. Kill him. And, and for his own protection... He is kept in Roman custody. In Acts chapter 26, we have another speech of Paul's. And Paul, this time before the Roman government, and he's, and he's given his, his speech once again. And he says, he, co- he comes to the point where, where he says in verse 21, That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me, but I have had God's help this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great. I am saying nothing beyond the prophets and Moses said what happened, that Christ would suffer, the first to die from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles, which the Old Testament did prophesy about Gentiles coming to God. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, he said. Your great learning has driven you insane. Much learning hath made you mad, Paul, because he dared say that this gospel of Jesus Christ is true and that he was called to take it to the Gentiles. Lincoln, in the commentary to Greenwin there, from the word commentary, says this, The advocacy of a law-free Gentile mission was what provoked the opposition which led to his arrest and punishment. That he would dare advocate, not that Jesus Christ was Savior, 
but that Gentiles could come to faith apart from the Mosaic law, that they were free to come on equal basis simply through faith in Jesus Christ and become part of what God was doing, the new humanity we looked at last week, the church, the body of Christ, the new man, the new people of God. And Lincoln says it was for that reason, it was for that reason, this law-free Gentile mission that he was in prison. Paul says several places. If we look at Romans chapter 11, I can read this to you if you like. Romans chapter 11 and verse 13. Paul says in Romans 11, I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in the hope that I will also convert my fellow Jews. Paul's heart was always with his fellow Jews. And he always went to the synagogue first. And preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he preached the ministry of the church, the body of Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, one of Paul's later epistles, when we believe, we believe Paul at the end of Acts was led free, he traveled and was rearrested, and this time, uh, he would, he would be martyred. But in that time period, he writes the pastorals, at least, at least Titus and 1 Timothy, we believe, and he writes 1 Timothy in chapter 2, in verse 7. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. I mean, this is so controversial. Paul said, I'm not lying. And I am a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. Throughout Paul's ministry, throughout his writings, he emphasizes over and over again the special calling he was given to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish world. And it was so controversial that he was actually called in the carpet, if you were, if you, if you will, and he was brought back to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council. And he had to stand before the Jerusalem Council and defend the fact that he was going to non-Jews and preaching salvation by faith through grace apart from keeping the law. And it was controversial. There was argument. There was a dispute. And finally, Peter and James stood up. And, 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 and said, you know, basically they're saying, we don't, you know, we don't all understand this, but God has sent this man to the Gentile world, and we will give him the right hand of fellowship, and we will allow him to do this. But Paul, when you go, will you please ask them to abstain from sexual immorality? That was no problem. Uh, you know, from unclean meat and things that are strangled from blood. And Paul said, okay, I'll do that. But he didn't have to. The sexual immorality, yes. But the blood, it was no longer, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. There was no requirements to come through the Mosaic law to come to faith in Christ. And so you should take time to read Galatians chapter 2, where Paul talks specifically about that Peter was sent to the Jews and I have been sent to the Gentiles. And they reached this understanding. They had this, they finally came to this agreement. So back to Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul says here, I just wanted, chapter 3, I just wanted to point out to you, Paul is in prison. Because he has dared to preach this ministry to the Gentiles. That's why he's in prison. Listen, James and Peter weren't in prison yet. They weren't in prison. Their, their fellow Jews didn't haul them before the Romans and say, these people are causing all sorts of trouble. No. But Paul was because he dared to go to the Gentiles to bring this message. But that's what God called him to. That was his commission. That was his calling. So in verse 2, Paul says this to the Ephesians. Ephesus, just to remind you, is on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. So it's in Asia Minor. Paul is in prison in Rome because of this ministry. And he says, Surely 
You have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. Now, in the translation I'm reading today, it uses the word administration. If you've heard the word dispensation before, and that's the word in our English language that we use. For example, I might say, um, you know, I, I, give, I, give you a, I give you a special dispensation to do this or to do that. You know, um, we understand what that means. I, I'm, I'm, it's a, it, the word dispensation, it comes from the Greek word oikonomia. The first word is the word for house, and the second word is the word for law. So how you run your house. Each of you have a dispensation. You run your house. I run my house. We have our rules. You have your rules. And we have teenagers, for example, that, that, uh, that get together and do things and find out, well, you know, that, that household, they, they have certain rules about chores and bedtime and what they can watch, what they can't watch. This household, Christian families, well, they have different rules. Their kids, they have to do this and that. We have different ways we manage our household. That's, that's all the word means. And that's why we, we talk about dispensations, because if you look throughout history, you will find that God manages his household, the world, in different ways. I mean, you know, the most obvious one is, I mean, let's face it, nobody here offers blood sacrifice, right? It's illegal in our country. You don't offer blood sacrifice. But there was a time where that was required by God. If, if you were a person who genuinely had faith in God and, and, and were part of the Jewish community, it wasn't optional. You didn't say, yes, I have faith in God, but you know what? I don't really care about the blood sacrifice. It didn't make a difference. What did, what did Moses teach them? He said, listen, if anybody doesn't prescribe to these Jewish laws, these Mosaic laws that we have, put them outside the camp. They were saved. They were saved, according, I believe, according to the New Testament, by their faith in, in, in what they were doing, and they practiced it and expressed it through keeping the law. But you had to do both. You, you, a person who genuinely had faith did not keep the law. That's a dispensation. That's a household management. And God, up until the time that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross at Calvary, and I remind you once again of the empty cross behind me as we were singing the songs today, and, and I, I was reflecting and thinking about the cross at Calvary and the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, God, God demonstrated his love to us. God commended his love to us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ went willingly to the cross and died for me and died for you. Amen? Why did he do that? Because he chose to love you. And I want you all to know today how much God loves you. Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary. And Paul is preaching this message and this ministry of the, of the blood of Jesus Christ. And after Jesus died in the cross of Calvary, he is, God is faithful to his word. He offered to Israel the Messianic kingdom that they had been longing for. And they said to Peter in the book of Acts, we killed the Messiah. Can you imagine how they felt? Can you imagine how they felt when all of a sudden they realized we just killed the Messiah who we have been longing for and waiting for? Peter, now what do we do? And Peter tells them, be washed of your, be baptized, washed of your sins, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent, receive him, and God will send him back, and he will send the times of refreshing, and every Jew in that audience knew what he was talking about. There was no one said, Peter, times of refreshing, what are you talking about? They knew exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about the Messianic kingdom, and they offered it, but it was rejected. 
It was rejected by those who sat in Moses' seat. And, and, and that was important. Jesus told his disciples, you, you, do what, you do what those who sit in Moses' seat tell you to do. Don't do what they do, but you do what they tell you to do. Because they were in Moses' seat. And they killed Stephen and they rejected it. And, and God saved Saul of Tarsus, who was a part of that, of that, of that crusade to destroy this church of Jewish believers. And Paul was saved and sent to the Gentile world. And we believe a new dispensation, a new era of God's managing his household begins. Where it is not the message, receive the kingdom and he will send him back to reign on earth. It is something new. And that is receive Christ as your Savior through faith. And you become part of the new people of God. The new humanity, the church, the body of Christ. And look what Paul says here. You've heard about the dispensation of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me, notice, made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly about. Now, I personally believe when he says, I have already written written briefly about, he's talking about what we call chapter 2, what he has just finished talking about. He's talking about it again. It's so important. He's talking about it again. He's ready to move on. And we're going to be moving past chapter 3 into the application to our daily life of all these wonderful truths. But he stops and talks about it again. And he says this was, the, this was the administration of the mystery. Best in his commentary. Paul has been empowered to be the... Listen to this. This is not from a person who would subscribe to and, and say, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I believe everything Pastor Jim believes. But listen to what he says when it comes to this passage. Paul has been empowered to be the primary instrument for its accomplishment. That is the revealing of the body of Christ to the Gentiles. This is latest Christian scholarship and acknowledging this, the, the uniqueness. Paul was empowered to be the primary instrument. Honer, in his commentary, the one on top there, says this. The grace here refers to the mystery of believing Jews and Gentiles as one body. Paul says, I was, I was called. I was called to, to herald this message. The administration, the dispensation of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. And what, what Paul is telling us here. When Paul was saved, you remember what happened to Paul after he was saved? When, what, what you would think would have happened is that when Paul was saved, he would have gone back down to Jerusalem and spent as much time with Peter, James, and John and the disciples and learned all he could about what they were teaching and about how he could engage and be part of what they were doing and help them accomplish bringing this message of the kingdom of God that, that they had been preaching the, 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 the coming of the Messiah. The times are refreshing. But instead, Paul is taken away to the desert. Paul is drawn away. He doesn't go anywhere. He's taken away and he has given this throughout his ministry. He says, by revelation, he does not say, I was given this by my study of the Old Testament. I was given this by going to the University of Antioch or Jerusalem. God gave this to me by revelation, as I've already told you. And in reading verse 4, what, and you, as you read what I've just written you, Ephesians, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery, the secret of Christ, the mystery. Paul understood it. 
from Revelation. Paul was the one to whom God graciously gave the ministry of dispensing this mystery. And this was in connection with his specific role as an apostle to the Gentiles, Honer. He was given the specific role as apostle to the Gentiles. Now listen, when he says this here, in verse 5, this mystery, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. I told you last week, I believe these holy apostles and prophets are the New Testament apostles for sure, but the New Testament prophets. The gift of prophecy was a New Testament office that we see throughout the New Testament. What Paul is, notice what he says here when he says, as it has now been revealed. See, historically, the Christian church, many have taken this to say, well, what Paul is saying is that now it's being revealed in a new way. It was revealed before, they just didn't fully understand it. And now, as it's being revealed, now it's finally starting to come. They knew about it, but they didn't quite understand it all. Best commentary does not say that in other generation the sons of men did not look deeply enough into the Old Testament to discern the revelation but it had been withheld from them though they had the Old Testament the knowledge given to Paul was then something new A.T. Lincoln in his commentary says this referring to as was previously known, that it was not comparative, but it does, it does not indicate a relative difference of degree. It marks the occurrence of something completely new. Isn't it interesting that from my perspective, the finest scholarship in the New Testament world today is clearly teaching this, promoting, I mean, how else do you read this? Here it is. And, and you say, well, what was the mystery? What was the secret? You know, I sat there at Grace Bible College and it dawned on me, I was the secret. It wasn't a very good secret. What is the secret? He tells us what it is. We saw it last week. We'll see it again and you can go home in a few minutes. Who left? Robbie? <laughs> All right. You know, you know Wilson Fossey's old joke. I won't even tell you again, right? When the pastor takes his watch off, what does it mean? Nothing. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. This, verse 6, this mystery is. Here it is. Paul says it was hidden. It has now been revealed. It was not obscured. It was not just, you know, not full. It, this is new. He called me to, to herald this. The other apostles and prophets are now teaching and receiving this. Here it is. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are three things. And there's a prefix soon, or we saw this before. It's S-U-N, the Greek, it's together with. It means joined together with. Three things. They are members, they are heirs together with Israel. They now have an inheritance Along with Jews, they are not heirs into Israel, but they are heirs together with Israel. We are all children of Abraham because we come by faith and we are part of the new P 
people, the body of Christ. Jews do not become Gentiles. Gentiles do not become Jews. We become a third entity. We saw that last week. This is the mystery. They are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body. And the word that's used here, the, the prefix soon, along with soma, comes out susoma, um, is a word you won't find anywhere else in Greek literature from the time. It's sort of like a Pauline construction. He's put together. You won't find it anywhere else in Greek literature. But you find it here in the New Testament. But Paul says we are together body. We are to a together body. We are a new person. We are the new body. We are the body of Jesus Christ. And finally, we are sharers together in the promises. And here's the key phrase. In Christ Jesus. This is the mystery. It's not that complicated. Now you might say, well, why isn't all of Christendom teach this? You know, if it's not the most popular, why? Well, listen, you know, there came a time was called the Protestant Reformation. Where how come for all those years it, it took that long for someone to finally proclaim and, and say, well, but, but and, and the basis was what? Well, it appears to be in the Bible. You know, it doesn't really matter what the church says. And frankly, we have a church doctrinal statement. But that's not what really matters. What matters is what this says. And if our church doctrinal statement reflects this, if your beliefs reflect this, that's what matters. And I don't know how else you read this. It's pretty straightforward. Paul says, listen, Gentiles, you've heard about the dispensation, the administration of God's grace. It was a mystery that was not made known by revelation. It was not revealed before. But it has now been, for whatever reason, whatever reason, God, and we'll see this next week, God chose this persecutor of the Christian church who was killing Christians, trying to destroy the church. For whatever reason, God chose him to be the one to herald this new message. Why? Why did God chose, choose Moses? Why didn't he choose Aaron? Moses said, God, I'm not going. Choose somebody else. God says, Moses, you're going. Why did he choose Moses? There were plenty of other people. Why did he choose King David? Look at David's life. And that's what David says. Is, why did, God, why did you choose me? What, what have I done? Is this the way you normally work? Why did God choose Saul to, to be the one to herald this message? That's up to God. You and I wouldn't have elected him. But he, he called him to this. Why? Because God had something new to unveil that, that nobody would have come up with in a million years. Nobody in Jerusalem would have concocted this. That God, came, that God had a plan to create a new people, Jew and Gentile, male and female, bond or free. There are no distinctions or differences or races or class or social or wealth, poverty, we're, there is no distinction. And you can go anywhere in this world today and sit down with a body of believers and you are one with them because there's no distinction. We are the new people of God. Amen? This is what God is doing today. Why? Because He chose to love you. He chose to do that. It's not because you finally figured it out, you're so wise, you're better than your neighbor who hasn't. It's because God chose to love you. And we are part of the new people of God today. Listen, friends, quickly, application to your life. Let me just tell you. Let me 
Can I read you one more? Lincoln. A.T. Lincoln. Paul views the church as a new entity which transcends old divisions and categories. And what for him is the heart of God's disclosure is that the Gentiles are an essential constituent of this new entity. I'll, I'll, I'll take this home with you today. You know, Paul was obedient. God told him from the very beginning, Paul, I'm going to send you to the Gentile world, but I also want you to know, I am calling you to a ministry of suffering. I must show, he told Ananias, you tell him, I must show him how much he must suffer for the gospel's sake. He didn't say, I'm going to show him how successful he's going to be, how great his name's going to be, how many people are going to love him. He said, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for the gospel because this message of taking the gospel to the Gentile world is going to cause unbelievable persecution and suffering. And Paul was martyred for, his, for, for doing this. He was obedient to what God called him to do. And if God lays something before you, friends, you count the cost and, and you decide, are you going to serve Christ or not? Are you going to serve Christ or not? It might cost you. It might cost you a job. It might cost you uh, popularity. It might cost you friends. It might cost you. But Paul did it, fully aware of what it was going to cost him. But he said, I count my life nothing if I may be faithful to the calling he's given me. I also want you to know the heart and soul of this message I'm preaching to you this morning, friends, young people, is the grace of God. You'll notice at our church, we don't ask you to beg for God's mercy. We don't sing songs and we don't recite creeds that implore God, please be merciful to me. Because what we are preaching today is when you receive Christ as Savior, you receive God's mercy. You receive forgiveness for sins. And it is not a matter of you doing it over and over again and, and, and receiving forgiveness and receiving mercy over and over again. It is about this new message that God has given of grace through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation and we are guaranteed that what God has done, God will finish and God knows how to take care of what belongs to Him. It's a wonderful message of the grace of God, friends. It couldn't be any better than to have to preach and teach this message. This is their response. How do we respond to God's forgiveness and God's love? We worship, we praise, we serve Him out of love, and we count it an unbelievable gift that God has made us part of what He is doing today, the church the body of Christ. Let's close our service to our final song. Now, I'm the only one that has to apologize to the nursery workers today for going over, and I will do that, okay? You're supposed to laugh at that. That's supposed to be that. But you know, I have one more book. That uh, This is a book by an author named Shalom Ashk. He's dead now, but he's a Jewish, great Jewish novelist, historian of the first century, he wrote novels of Jesus called the Nazarene. He wrote one of Paul called the Apostle. It's a novel. It's a novel. But he, I just want to, I'm going to let you in another little secret. The rabbis and the Jews have understood this for centuries. 
that it was Paul is the one who took this message to the Gentile world and from their perspective created a new religion. And he says this, he is the Lord, and he says that Paul says, he is the Lord of the whole world. He sent his Messiah as his deliverer, the Messiah of all mankind, of all men that have common blood with him. Faith has created a new brotherhood among men. The Lord binds him into a single family. They become children of God in the faith, not in the laws and commands. Listen, friends, it's the message of the grace of God. Heavenly Father, this morning it's, it's our prayer that we leave this place encouraged. We do not seek to be puffed up by knowledge, as the Bible says, to be proud in what we know, to be arrogant. Uh, we, we desire humbly to, to extend an understanding of Scripture that, that seems to make the most sense. What God is doing today, who we are, and the reason why we're not legalistic and why we're not trying to accomplish our good works to earn your salvation. But we are preaching the message of the grace of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that as we leave this place, our lives will truly reflect that. And of all people, we will be the most gracious as we share the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we've gathered today. We leave this place but we go with him through the power of the Holy Spirit. In his name we pray. Amen.